If you have a Bible or, or a device, open to 1 John 3, verses 1 to 10. Tim's going to preach on this passage, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Here John says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who hopes in him in this way purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appears, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sin, sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So far, the reading of the word of God, let's pray together and ask for God's blessing upon Tim as he comes. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the title that you have given and the status that you have given us as your children right now, in the here and now. You are our Father and you truly love us. And your plan is to spend eternity among us on a new earth that's coming. But in the meantime, we're called to live for you. We pray that you will help us to do that, change our hearts so that we want to please you, so that we love to do your will. Please bless Tim now with your spirit. Anoint him. May he pronounce what he has prepared and share what he has prepared with your power and your glory behind him. Take every word, bring it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, I want to uh, start this morning, and I'm going to just dive right into this passage. There's a lot to uh, unravel here today, and so we're going to dive right in. And I want to do that by asking you um, uh, a question that I want to have uh, almost echo through the entire message. Uh, it's a profound question. It's a theological question. Uh, and here's what it is. Who's your daddy? Who's your, I told you. Who's your daddy? And so uh, I want you to turn to the person next to you and ask him that question. Just look at them and say, who's your daddy? And it's good. Some of you don't say it quite right. It's good if you do a little head nod and, and then say, like, who's your daddy? So do that. Wow. That is interesting to watch. 
Well, in this passage, uh, uh, John, who's writing this, we've been uh, going through this uh, the last few weeks. By the way, uh, uh, Mike and Dave, they teach you that as a question in seminary, right? <laughs> no? All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's me uh, summed up in a matter of sorts. So what John is saying here in this passage is that uh, God and Satan are the heads of two families. There are only two families. God and Satan are the heads of these two families, and you are either a child of God or of Satan. And every person who has not been born into the family of God is a member of Satan. And the new birth uh, determines what family you are in today. Every one of us was born. I wasn't at your birth, but I can tell you, you were born. But your rebirth, or your being reborn in Christ, is important. If you have been reborn in Jesus, if you have confessed your, your sins, you've repented in him, you've put your faith in Jesus, you are now a child of God. If you have not, what John is saying here, by default, is you are a child of Satan. And so it's important today to know who your daddy is. And we're going to go through that. And so it would be very biblical this week as you're going about your business. Maybe today if you go to lunch and you have a server, you can say, Hey, who's your daddy? <laughs> Walk up to strangers this week. Say, Hey, who's your daddy? It's okay. The guy at church said you could. You see, John is fond of, of using family term, uh, terms to talk about the Christian life. He's talked about uh, that the, the salvation brings a new birth, about being born into the family of God and, and becoming the children of God. And, and so he uses these terms. And he, he says right in verse 1 that we are children of God. It's an enduring term. It's, it's, a, it's an awesome term uh, to know. But do you really let that sink in? Do you really know what that means? Many of you here are, are parents, or you have uh, parents and fond memories of that. But I tell you, one of the awesome uh, uh, privileges and honor in my life is to be uh, a father. When my uh, son was much younger and smaller than he is now, two or three years old, I would drive home from work. I would park on the street, and at the time of our, our house, we had a screen door, and uh, I would uh, open the door and close and start walking up, and I could hear him yelling out, Daddy is home! And that's so cool! You know, uh, somebody, my wife would open the, the screen door, and he would run out and meet, meet, meet me on uh, the driveway and give me a hug. Uh, he doesn't do that anymore. But at one point, <laughs> he was proud that I was his father. <laughs> and I'm sure many of you have the same story. If you think about your young kids and, and the love that they have for you being their father or their mother, and that is the relationship that John is using here, that God is your father. And we'll see in a minute, he chose to be your father. And so the first point that, that we'll see in, in John, uh, uh, in 1 John 3, verse 1, if you have your bulletin outline, it's the first point there, and here it is. We are children of God now and forever. Now and forever. Verse 1 says this. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. You see, we've been, been, we've, uh, been declared to be sons of God, been, that we've been adopted into the family legally. John doesn't use the term sons here, rather he uses the word children. It's a term that describes uh, origin and, and birth and family relationship and family likeness, a family characteristic. 
right? We are children of God. If you, um, uh, if, if children have been born into your family, you can probably remember that day well, whether it be your own kids or nieces or nephews or cousins. Maybe you were there at the hospital. Uh, the very first baby born into our family uh, was my niece, Megan. Uh, and all of us were at the hospital, right? Uh, and we were sitting there in the waiting room, and, and uh, 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 Carrie, her mother, is a bit of a drama queen, so she let it span out for a long period of time, and we were there all night just waiting on her to kind of finally have this thing. And we were, uh, the topic of the conversation was about the baby and, 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 uh, and what the baby uh, would be like and what we wanted to do when the baby was being born. And maybe when the, the first time you saw the baby, you were talking about, oh, I think he, I think he has mom's eyes or dad's nose or I can see a little bit of uh, you know Uncle Fred's hair in, in him or things like that. You, you talk about the resemblance and how the baby fits into the home. And we can see family resemblances. Uh, maybe if you see a kid walking down the, uh, here at church or somewhere or somewhere where you're familiar with you think, oh I know who that dad is right? Uh, check out some of these uh, celebrity uh, fathers. You can see some family resemblance in them. Uh, it's Will Smith, right? And his kid. Uh, uh, bad, bad Boys is it, it, in theaters right now, if you've seen that, Will Smith. You can see that there's no denying that's his son, right? Uh, this one is uh, Arnold and his son. The smile, the, the, the shape of the lip, that's his son. You can see the resemblance, right? Uh, I think the Gordon Ramsay, Chef Gordon Ramsay, yeah. A few more wrinkles over there, but otherwise it's like a mirror, you know? You can see family resemblances in, in, in family photos. Uh, check out this family photo. They're definitely all related. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, uh, Jack and his son. The family resemblance is clear. But if you have kids or, or your cousins and nieces and nephews, you can see how maybe they, they have uh, eyes or hair or smiles uh, that uh, run in the family. And I think what's awesome, we have a lot of uh, adopted uh, kids in our family. I have two adopted daughters. Uh, I have a niece and a nephew who are adopted. They start, even though they're not bred, they start taking on family resemblances. And it doesn't take very long. I think uh, uh, early on when, when uh, Morgan, it only took a year or two, she was already learning to, to dust and mop floors at like two years old. <laughs> you take on you're the family that you're in, even if you're not blood family. And we, what we get here is that if God is our father, we should resemble him. Our actions should fall in line with what he teaches in Scripture. How did it come that we gained entrance into God's family? Well, John tells us in verse 1, it's because of what? His love for us. Check that out. See what kind of what? Yeah, we'll try that again. See what kind of what? What love the Father has given to us. It was because he loved us and he gave us something. We didn't earn the right to be called children of God. He loved us. And then he gave that to us. John places the word father in a key position to emphasize the family relationship. God himself is the source of this love to us. And what a marvelous love it is. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
Uh, I'm a grammar nerd, and so I love this, this verb coupled with the tense that John uses suggests that the gift cannot be earned, bought, or withdrawn. It's not a love that you and I deserve. This love is a gift. God reaches down to us, unlovely uh, though we are in the midst of our sins. He died, for, Jesus died for us on a cross. God has given his love to us, and he has called each of us his child. Those words describe titles of honor. Do you get that? They describe titles of honor, not of right. God has given us the honor of bearing his name. Perhaps you bear a family name given to you in honor of a grandfather or a family member. Like I said, I have two adopted kids. When I adopted them and the court case was final, they went from one name to another name, not because they earned that, but because I loved them and I wanted them to be my daughters. In no way comparing myself to God here, but God bestows an undeserved honor on us when his love for us causes him to adopt us into his family. To function well as a Christian, you have to know who you are in Christ. No matter what problems you may be facing at the moment, you are his child. You are in his family now. It doesn't matter if you feel like you measure up to it. It doesn't matter if you have failed him miserably this week. It doesn't matter if your life is full of sin right now. It doesn't matter if you woke up hungover this morning. If tonight you're going to go do something terribly stupid, it doesn't matter what you've done, what you will do, you are a child of God now and forever. You are in his family now. But the news gets even better. Just as we are born only once into our family, so the new birth which places us in the family of God is a once and for all event as well. We can never be disowned by, a, a, uh, by God. And just like my kids, they have done dumb things. They probably will again do dumb things. They give me heartburn and gray hair and sleepless nights. They will never, I will never disown them. They will never uh, out-earn their love with me. And I am a failed, sinful human being. Imagine that with God. You cannot, you cannot out-distance your love from him. He will always love you. He will always follow you. He will always pursue you. Try if you want, but you cannot do something that will make God uh, dis disown you. You are his if you put your faith in him. And you had nothing to do with your spiritual birth. Look at John 1, 12 through 13. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of what? The will of God. Adoption gives us the name of God's children. The new birth gives us the nature of God's children. John keeps going here, and he goes into the next verse, and the next point is this, that our Father wants his children to bear the family likeness. He shifts to be talking to what we will be, and in order to understand uh, what we will be, we have to start with who we are. We are children of God, but God is not only interested in making us his children, he desires for all of his children to bear the family likeness. You see, God is in the business of making us more like Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make us more like Jesus. Did you know that? 
every day he is he is making uh, it a point to uh, make to turn everything that you are uh, every aspect of your life as a Christian to, to to be more like Jesus to give you the mind of Christ he's at work to help us learn to think like Jesus learn to talk like Jesus and learn to act like Jesus and that should be your mission and goal as well God is making all of his children conform to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our full and spiritual inheritance is in heaven and awaits the return of Christ, but that inheritance is ours right now. Even though we have not yet come into possession of it, that inheritance is ours right now. E.V. Hill was a great uh, American pastor uh, from some years ago, and one day he hired a young girl to be uh, his secretary. He did not know, know who she was other than her, her name and um, uh, uh, her qualifications, and he hired her. And one day one of his friends came by and he said, uh, uh, Evie, do you know who your secretary is? And he responded, of course, that's, that's, it's Natalie. And he said, yeah, but do you know who Natalie is? And he said, of course, she's a a nice young lady who who works very well. And the friend said, that's Natalie Cole. Does that ring a bell to you? And he said, no, not really. And and finally the friend said, that is Nat Nat King Cole's daughter. Nat King Cole's daughter is your secretary. And they were both awed by that, right? This is the famous musician who has turned the jazz world and created it almost. Like, this is the legend. And his daughter's outside his, his office typing stuff. And so, and so Evie, uh, go, Evie Hill goes in, into, uh, up to, the, the, uh, to, to Natalie, and he says to her, um, why didn't you tell me who you were? And she said, I didn't know it was required. I just wanted a job. And then she said this, my daddy left me something. I one day will have a pretty large inheritance. Like he's done some pretty cool things. He got paid for it. But, he said, I have, but she said this, but I have not come into it yet. It won't be mine until I'm 21. And that's the way that all of us who are Christians should think about our inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. We are children of King Jesus, but we have not come into our full inheritance. It is ours now, but we don't come into it until we get to heaven. You see, folks, our earthly vocations might be humble. You might live in a humble place. You might drive a humble car. But know this, you are a child of the king. Imagine that. You are a child of the king. How does that change your life knowing you are a child of the king? We're seeing right now the, uh, uh, the royals, I'm not big into it, and it's not in my notes, but is it Prince Harry? Right? Uh, he just said that he, he wants to not do the whole royal thing and he wants to live on his own, uh, but he is still a child of, of the king and queen in this instance. You much are this, the same way. You are the child of the king, the creator of this universe, the guy who reigns supreme over all of it. You are his child. There's one sense in which we can never be like Jesus. Jesus is divine. He is God in, in human flesh. We will never be like him in in the sense of equality. We will never become little gods, but we will be like him spiritually. 
We'll be like him in spiritual unity and righteousness. Did you know that, that God saved us for more reasons than just, just to keep us out of hell? The Bible uh, says that God uh, saved us to conform us to the image of his son and makes us like Jesus. God will f- fulfill that purpose, and there will come a day when we will be like Jesus and we'll be perfectly righteous. In verse 1 and 2, John told us that we uh, are children of God. He has told us that we will be uh, like Jesus and, and see his face someday. Now he tells us in verse 3 what we should be. And he says this, And everyone who thus hopes in him, Jesus, purifies himself, and he is pure. To keep us floating away on a, on a cloud of uh, mysticism, John reminds us that our future destiny helps us to know our present duty. If we are to be like Christ in heaven, we must act like Christ now. What are we to be doing now before we come to the time of what will we be? John says that we should be, uh, what we should be is holy, and how we should live is a pure life. And then he goes on, the first, those are the first three verses, then he goes on to verse uh, 4 through 10, and uh, he, he talks about uh, sinfulness and lawlessness, and here's the point here in your bulletin. True, true children of God do not exhibit a sinful lifestyle. If you are a child of God, you do not exhibit a sinful lifestyle. So let's unpack this a little bit. It, uh, this passage has caused some confusion because it seems like verse 6 and 9 are implying a Christian cannot sin or they need to be perfect, but yet you know that we can't ever be perfect, so maybe there's some, some, some odds there. It seems like maybe he's contradicted himself, but a closer inspection reveals that that is not what John means here. His meaning behind this text is that our attitude to, to sin as Christians is, is, is of vital importance to John. You see, if you take it into a historical context here, you are two or three generations removed from Jesus going back into heaven, right? Jesus was on earth. He was, he was this awesome force on earth, and then he, he left. He went back into heaven, and he gave them, them the job to the disciples and his followers. And you're two or three generations removed. John is one of the very few people left on earth who not only saw Jesus, he was a disciple of Jesus and one of Jesus' very best friends. And so he knows Jesus. But what's going on here, several years after the birth, uh, or after Jesus left, is he's starting to see some of the religious leaders uh, uh, being indifferent to sin, being really liberal to sin and saying that it's, you know, it's okay, and, and being kind of loose there with how sin is. And John is combat- combating that and saying, hey, I sat with Jesus. I dined with Jesus. Trust me when I say he was not loose with sin. And so it's an attitude that that John is is trying to say here is that if you are in Christ, you cannot then have a sinful lifestyle. Not that you're going to be perfect, but you should not be indifferent to sin. And I want you to catch this point. You cannot be no more indifferent to sin then you could be indifferent to a rattlesnake in your house. Anybody here uh, hate snakes like me? Yeah, I think everybody except for maybe uh, Sandra Weltner. Uh, she's a freak. Uh, but if, if you had a rattlesnake in your house that was not invited, how would you how, what, think about that? How would you react to that? Let's say you go home today, you open the door, and you take a few steps in, and there is a rattlesnake in your house. 
Would you not freak out and, and, and do everything that you, have, that you could to remove that thing out of your house? Or would you just live on and say, oh well, it is what it is. <laughs> could you imagine climbing into bed that night thinking, I hope it can't climb up to my bed. <laughs> or thinking, I wish that stupid thing would stop rattling. I'm trying to sleep right now. Snakes don't belong on planes and they don't belong in my house. And I would do anything and everything to rid my house of that stupid snake. Would you not? Say amen if you would want to rid yourself of that rattlesnake. Yeah, because rattlesnake don't belong in your house. John's saying the same thing. Sin doesn't belong in your house. You are a temple of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. Sin does not belong in you. And so if you have that sin in you, it should be like a snake in your house where you do anything to get rid of that. Get a broom, swat at it, get a knife, stab it, or call somebody to get rid of it, but do not be indifferent to it. You cannot be called a child of God and then be indifferent to sin. Do you get that point? Being indifferent means that you have just a flippant attitude. Oh, well. No. No. It doesn't mean that snakes won't come into your house periodically. But what it does mean is that when it does, you're not indifferent to it, that you want to do everything you can to rid yourself of that thing. That's the point here. Then there's a, an important distinction to be made between a state of purity and a maintained condition of purity. See, sin is darkness, and Christ is the light. Where the candle is to a dark room, Christ is to our hearts. By the light of this uh, indwelling presence, he keeps sin away. The cleansing we experience is not a state, uh, a maintained condition, a condition that can only exist because of Christ's presence in our life. Check it out. If we... Um, Suppose you walk through a dark room with a lighted candle, right, a candle like this. You walk through, and then you left the room. What's going to happen to the room? It's going to go back dark, right? What if you walk through a completely dark room with this candle, you left the room, and the light stayed lit, or the room stayed lit? It wouldn't make sense, right? The only reason the room stays lit is because of the presence of the candle. As soon as the presence of the candle leaves, the room goes dark again. We sang that, that, that song, Is He Worthy? There's a line in there uh, about the candle in, in, or about a, a dark room, a light in, a, in darkness. It's the same thing. If you want... Where the, where the candle is, where light is, darkness cannot be. But where the candle is not, where light is not, darkness will be. And that's the, the, the distinction here. Sin is darkness, and Christ is the light. In order to get rid of darkness, you must have the light. In verses 4 through 8, John uh, states or, or implies several things about sin. He tells us what sin is, what sin does, why sin is, and where it comes from. Verse 4 makes the point that sin is lawlessness. And here's how we're going to define lawlessness. It means that there is no recognition of authority beyond yourself. There's a point in your notes. You can write that down. Lawlessness means that there is no recognition of authority other than myself. I am at the top. So if I think what is right is right, that's what goes. This is a fundamental problem of American, Americans today. 
In the day of Judges, the Old Testament book said it this way. It said, um, everyone did what was right in the eyes, in their own eyes. That's lawlessness. Doing what is right in your own eyes. Lawlessness isn't where there is no law. It's just where there is no law beyond you. Catch that? doesn't mean there's no law. It just means there's no law beyond you. You are the highest authority. You determine right and wrong. You decide what you do or you don't, what's best to pursue or not pursue. Lawless means, lawlessness means that you will not submit yourself to anyone or subject your authority to any other authority. Uh, those of you who are uh, paying attention to baseball, you're seeing some lawlessness and, and what's happening. Astros and, and uh, Red Sox, the past two World Series uh, winners, have been caught uh, cheating. Right? They, they have said that in the playoffs they were using uh, technology to steal signs and then beating on a trash drum. And, uh, and, and that's a good example of law. Like, there's no law above themselves. Those guys thought that there's nothing above me. This is what I think is right, and they've done that. There's lawlessness. And you're starting to see the fallout of that. You're starting to see uh, uh, managers have been fired. A GM has been fired. Some of the players are now uh, 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 seeing the effects of being a part of a cheating uh, thing going on. And now you're starting to see, maybe uh, in the weeks to come, anybody who benefited from this cheating scandal. <laughs> and we'll see if integrity or law is a part of their life or if they're going to live a life of lawlessness. So be thinking about Pastor Mike this week because he thinks about this because uh, he made a razor with me. <laughs> In the World Series, he said that uh, he chose the other team, not the Dodgers, to win. And he said if the Dodgers lose, I had to do a message in the Angels uniform. I agreed to that. They lost. I accept the punishment, but he's won now because of a cheating team. So he is on the side of a cheater and lawlessness. And I think the only way to make up for that, to make it right, and to prove that he's not a man of lawlessness is to preach next week in a Dodger uniform. Wow. That was a thunderous applause. Yeah. We'll see if he's a man of honor and integrity. <laughs> it's good to have the microphone and you don't. Think about your home. Everyone sees this firsthand, whether you're a kid or an adult, or you, see, you, you can see this play out. If you have a father that is good, a father that is upright and loves you, he gets to make the rules, right? Moms and dads, how many times have you had a discussion with your wonderful, beautiful children and they say to you, oh, well, that's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, well, little punk, that's the opinion that matters here, right? This house is not a democracy. It's a benevolent, benevolent dictatorship, oftentimes ruled by a queen. <laughs> but we are the highest authority. To acknowledge God's authority, to not acknowledge God's authority, 
is lawlessness. And John makes a point here in verse 5 that Jesus' purpose for coming into the world was to take sin away. John the Baptist stated it in James, uh, John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died for your sins, folks, not just to forgive you of your sin, but also to take it away, to rid yourself of that sin. Think about Yom Kippur. It's a day known as Atonement, it's one of the holiest days of the year in Judaism. Essential things are around atonement and repentance. And back before Jesus came to be the, off, uh, the, the, uh, the final uh, atonement and repentance for that, what the, the, the priest would do in that day is he would come to the Yom Kippur service and they would have two animals. One, would be, one animal would be the substitute animal. And you would, you would, you would, cast, you would um, confess your sins and that animal then would be slaughtered. That animal would die then for your sin because sin demands punishment. There's, there's a consequence for your sin. And so that animal is a substitute animal. It, it took your sin on and they, they killed that animal. But then there's a second animal. This animal was called the scapegoat. Ever hear that term before? We use it today. The scapegoat. So not only were your sins paid for, but your sins also needed to be, to, to be driven out. And so that scapegoat took all of your sins and then they released that goat or that, that animal to go out and to run away. And oftentimes they would chase it like with fires and loud banging things and have it run far, far away to never come back here. Verse 6 says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. John confirms here that, uh, that no one who abides in Christ, meaning no one who is, that no one who is genuinely a Christian, keeps on sinning. The key here is a present tense verb expressing an ongoing sinful lifestyle. John has already affirmed the possibility that a Christian can sin. You will. We're, we're, we're just, we're, we're, we're sinful human beings. Sin is going to be a part of our lives. But repentance of that sin, working to drive that out of your life is, is what he's uh, saying here. To know Christ here describes someone who is not no, going back a, a little bit, a lifestyle indicates someone who has neither seen or known Jesus that they are sinful. The third point here is, is this, is that those who do exhibit a sinful lifestyle are from their father, the devil. Those are harsh words. They're even hard to say sometimes because they're, they're not positive. But check out verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, and he is righteous. But it goes on to say that if you don't practice it, you are a father of Satan. John couches this assertion in a tender pastoral tone by, by saying, Little children, let no one deceive you. False teachers are behind the notion that one can be born again and yet practice a sinful lifestyle. But John is saying, no way, if you do, your daddy is Satan. So again, he's asking, who's your daddy? Imagine a professional football player who's an all-pro and a master of a position. He knows what his responsibilities are to do and to carry out. He knows what his assignments are. Normally, he performs his tasks as he should, but occasionally he misses an assignment. He may miss a block, 
Or maybe he blocks the wrong way. Maybe he misses a tackle. But that is not the norm for him. Rather, it's the exception. And that's the way our Christian life should be. Sin is the exception, not the rule. It's going to happen. If you play sports, even if you're an all-pro professional, you're going to miss a tackle. You're going to miss a block. But that should be the exception, not the rule. And if sin is the rule rather than the exception, you have not been born of God. Let me close and just summarize a few things. There's a few things kind of going around that I want to uh, uh, wrap ourselves around. I want, to th- I want you to think a little bit about who you are. Who do you think you are? We're always assigning ourselves some kind of identity. And the things that you and I do are shaped by the identity that we have given ourselves. And so it's so important to know who we think we are. It's important to acknowledge that God has not just forgiven you, because that's an awesome thing, but it's important to remember that he didn't just forgive you, but he's also giving you a brand new identity. When you come to him, when you put your faith into him, you are being born again in a new identity. The old has gone, the new has ushered in. If the old is still there, you have work to do. If you are a God child, you are now a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are in the family of the Savior who is your friend and your brother. And you are the temple of the Spirit of God who now lives in you. It really is true. You have been given a radically new identity. But the problem is that sadly many of us live in a constant or at least rather a regular state of what what Paul Tripp calls identity amnesia. We forget our identity. Maybe we're reminded if we come to a, a Sunday service here and we preach the gospel every week, but then you go on your way and by Tuesday or Wednesday you forget your identity. It's identity amnesia. We forget who we are. And, and when we do, we begin to give way to doubt and fear. Identity amnesia uh, makes you feel poor when in fact you are rich. It makes you feel foolish when in fact you are in a personal relationship with the one who is wisdom. It makes you feel weak when in fact you have been blessed with strength. It makes you feel alone when in fact the Holy Spirit resides in you permanently, which makes it impossible for you to feel alone. You feel unloved when in fact as a child of the Heavenly Father you have been graced with eternal love. You feel like you don't measure up You compare yourself to other people and you say, I'm not that. And you feel you don't measure up when in fact the Savior measured up on your behalf. Identity and needs just sucks the life out of you and your Christianity in the right here and in the right now moments which all of us live. And if you've forgotten who you are in Christ, what are you left with? You're left with a Christless Christianity which is a little more than a system of theology and rules. And you know that if all you needed was theology and rules, Jesus wouldn't have to come. All God would have to, to needed to do was to drop a Bible down on you and walk away. But he didn't walk away. He invaded your life as Father, Savior, and Helper. By grace, he made you a part of his family. By grace, he made you the place where he lives And he did all of this so you could not only receive his forgiveness, but that you would have everything you need for life and godliness. 
So if you're a child of his this morning, throw off the fear that knocks on your door by remembering who God is and who you've become as his chosen child. Don't lose, don't lose that. You have been chosen by God. And don't just celebrate his grace. Let it reshape the way you live today and the tomorrows that follow. Think about it. You're a child of God. And so this week, when you are feeling low, when you're looking in the mirror and you think, I just don't measure up. I don't have enough to offer. I'm not good enough. I keep doing this stupid thing. I'm not this or I'm not that or I fail out at this. I want you to take a deep breath and, and ask yourself this question. Who's your daddy? <laughs> Who's your daddy? Because who your daddy is defines who you are. Not anything else. Nothing else defines you except for who your father is. He chose you not because of who you are and what you do, but because he loves you. Pray with me. Father God, I don't know why that you chose us, that you chose me, that you chose all of us here. But thank you. Thank you for bestowing on us the title of child of God. We are your children. And much the same way that we love our kids or our grandkids or our nieces and nephews, multiply that by a million and we get to just a glimpse of your love for us. Let that define us this week in the here and in the now. But let us never think of our identity outside of you. Cure us of our identity amnesia. Remind us this week that we are a child of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Lord, I pray that this week we can work on resembling you, that we can take on your characteristics, your habits. Lord, make us more like Jesus each and every day. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.